morning. Welcome to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Interesting guest today for our first full day of spring here after the uh, snowstorm of the last 24 hours. Uh, if you're from outside the area, listen to my voice on some of the syndicated stations that I have. I hope your winter is over because I'm praying that ours is. Interesting person today. You can almost call them kind of a James Bond type. Background that most of us will never be able to even comprehend, let alone really try to understand an individual who would live this type of background. Obviously, someone who enjoys the rush, enjoys the challenge. My guest today has an intelligence background, a covert operations background, has been through a lot of things, has seen a lot of things, has done some tremendous things, has made some huge mistakes along the way as well, and we'll tap into that a little bit. But you got to really be thankful for people like my guest because someone has to do the dirty work so that this country can keep moving forward and have the democracy that we crave. So welcome. My guest today is David Downey. David? Good morning, John. How are you on this snowy spring day? Well, it's a little bit better, my friend. When I drove in, the uh, roads were at least clear. It's starting to melt. And uh, for me, hopefully later today, I'll get another workout, like I told you yesterday, and start gearing up for the good weather. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better. Thanks. I appreciate that, and I appreciate your patience uh, through last week when I was sick. But let's kind of get into who you are, David. Um, you know, as I was saying coming into it, you have a uh, covert operations background, uh, intelligence work for the government. Uh, you've been attached to some of our most elite uh, special operations groups. Uh, kind of, you know, how does one fall into this? I mean, uh, there's definitely isn't any kind of college you can go to that specializes in this kind of work. You know, you know, give us a little bit of your background. How did you get here? Well, let me do this first. Thank you for taking the time to have you on your show today. Yeah, I appreciate uh, that. Thank you for the time and a chance to to talk about the company I founded and, and what I'm doing now. It's really funny. I was raised by uh, a great set of parents in, in the Baltimore area, and my grandfather always reminded his grandchildren that we owed a duty to our nation. And I had an uncle who was uh, in cryptology. I had another who was a helicopter pilot. Uh, my dad served as a, a non-com in a stateside POW camp in World War II. Uh, I had a brother who was a PLC in the United States Marine Corps. So it was something we all did, and my brother-in-law served in the Pacific Fleet on a uh, destroyer escort. I was an ROTC in college, John, mm -hmm. and uh, took the basic map reading and logistics and all the fun things that I did. I, uh, I like to think I was an athlete as a golfer, but that never turned out to be true. And I got exposed to the world of golf to a number of people of considerable wealth, both in the Washington and suburban Philadelphia area. And after a year plus in ROTC, I got a call out of the blue for a function in the spring at uh, one of our affluent country clubs, which remain nameless, and became acquainted with the first city troop. And John Pemberton and James Bodine and real considerable mainline money, in addition to some people from the Washington area. And as I entered the fall of my sophomore year, taking another class in ROTC, I got a call out of the blue. Got an invitation to have a conversation with some people in Washington, and the rest is kind of history. Um, started out with a bank and did some time in the banking world along with the other things that I did. And it's funny how they choose you, John. They, they choose you because no one expects you to do that. They choose you because you have a passion. It was once stated by a, a law enforcement official that, that I could be a bully. I'm not a bully. I just been very direct. I have a very forceful and passionate way about me, and at times that can be misinterpreted. You know, it was funny. Somebody said to me recently, John, geez, Dave, you're 61, you're going to be 62, you're starting a new company. I said, well, let me remind you, Ray Kroc sold paper cups until he was 62 until he started McDonald's, so maybe it's never too late. No, 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 never too late to get uh, to reinvent yourself a little bit. I've stepped away from what my normal career path has been. Uh, I told you that within the last six months or so, and I'm going in a different direction, keeping in sales and marketing, but going after what I think is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But, but David, you know, getting back to you, you, you get into this position, you said they kind of come, they kind of come looking for you. That seems to be the standard uh, MO, definitely with the CIA, from what I understand. They're very common to go to high-end colleges and universities 
and quietly seek out uh, individuals to bring into the company. And I probably the NSA does the same thing, I would assume. And so on down the line, even to units within special operations or within the government itself that we don't even know about. But for you, I mean, we, is this something that you craved? No, it's funny. Let me let me let me take it a step further. Okay. I was uh, working at a bank, and all of a sudden, got a call to head up to the executive floors from the aforementioned people, and they indicated that I'd be taking a leave under the guise of working for the Chamber of Commerce. So that's how it all started. Okay. Um, did I create? Once I got into it, I loved it, and I figured after a few years. I'd go back and go pursue some postgraduate work, and I did a project. My first project with SOCOM was when they consolidated BUDS training, which is SEAL training, used to be in Dam Neck and in Coronado, to Coronado. And I was asked by a senior officer within that organization to help with the logistics. In other words, moving it and rebuilding a single location for BUDS. And I thought, okay, that'll be done. Well, as you know, for many years, I did a number of things attached to the teams, many very, very technical. You've seen some of the references. You've seen some of the documentation from guys from Dev Group and Team 6. And then later in life, I started a company with an individual who's a superb guy, Tom Rothroff, who runs a now company called NDR, who spent 22 years with the teams, a finer man you'll never meet. And we built an organization supporting maritime security. People don't understand one thing. You do it because you love it. And a lot of these men, and they are men, do it for one another. I know I did. It was so important that I did things right by my brothers. Uh, there were times when Tom and I would laugh on a Thursday night and say, uh, geez, don't call me till Monday, because we'd be on the phone with one another at 3 in the morning, 12 at midnight, Sunday afternoons. It's all about doing the right thing all the time. Um, I, I think people need to understand these guys do it for them. I mean, it's like the whole thing with bin Laden and the operation in Adabadabad. Uh, if you look at the press recollection, some of which is accurate, some of which is not even close, um, and I don't know anymore. I've been away from it so long. But I know enough guys to ask the right questions. I know one of the things that you'll run into is people, when you ask of me, will say, yeah, I know the name. We know a lot more than we're willing to share, and we're very protective of one another. Do I crave it? I loved it, John. Uh, I like the edge. You live out on the envelope. Um, you never recover from that, and you close your eyes at night and say, I did my best. Well, that's a good thing. We need people, again, who are born to something like this. I think very few people are created in the sense that they're brought in and, and, and then kind of shaped and molded from nothing. I think you have to have that within your heart, within your makeup, to want to be that kind of person because, let's face it, your lifestyle is going to be dramatically different than anyone else's, you probably know, and the hazards of the work are quite obvious. Now, David, now can I, again, stepping back for a second, uh, your background was in banking. They had you in finance. Uh, is that something that you would say would be a common background for someone that's being kind of groomed or pulled into this kind of uh, covert operations work? Well, let me add three things to that. The, the process now has changed. When Mike McConnell, Admiral Mike McConnell, a Vanderbilt grad and a wonderful guy, uh, wound up as the director of national intelligence after Negroponte, he changed the whole hiring model because the model would take between 22 and 40 months to vet somebody to bring them in to that type of role. The NSA guys tend to be very technical. The CIA guys on the desk are very technical. Um, the common theme amongst all of them is they're smart, they're leaders, they're good athletes, uh, they tend to be oddballs. They tend to be loners. But Mike said, let's find what we like and hire it. And then in the process of their training and their evolution and their roles to operator, if there's a fallout in the detailed vetting, um, we'll kick them out. Um, I had the good fortune of having a neighbor when I moved from the Baltimore area to the suburbs of Philadelphia of having a neighbor by the name of Commander John Mooney, 
whose son Pete is my attorney from White Williams, wonderful guy, who did my final sign-off. Mr. Mooney came to me one day and said, David, called me up in the porch. He had his Schmidt's beer out. I need to talk to you. And I said, sir. And he said, you know, they're running around the neighborhood asking about you. He said, I thought you were in banking. And I just smiled, and so did he. He said, I signed off on your paperwork. I said, did you tell Jim or Pete? He said, I told no one. So it, it, it's all happened circumstance. Was I a good athlete? I don't know. Maybe some days I was. Some days I was terrible. Was I a good student? Very good. But I didn't apply myself to later in life. You know, typical of a, of a kid with some skills. But, but Mike McConnell is really responsible for changing the model and should be recognized as the guy who really made the DNI office in, in Washington. Now, for you, I just want to clarify, make sure the audience understands, you were not a Navy SEAL per se in the sense that you uh, were part of the Navy, part of uh, the teams in the sense that you came up through that. You were more of an independent-type operator that was attached to the teams for logistical purposes, correct? Absolutely correct. I am not, I repeat, I am not a SEAL, but I am recognized well by the teams, as your research has shown, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. uh, enough so that uh, they've recognized me at Fort Pierce on one of the walls. So I must have, it kept me around for 20-some years. I must have done something right, huh, John? Well, I was going to ask, what were, uh, if you can give me the time frame, uh, because you're, you're kind of, um, you really do end up more of an independent towards the end, but I want to kind of, Piece it together here. My producer is giving me the high sign. We're going to take a break, David. We come back, though. I kind of want to do the time period piece from beginning to when we get uh, toward the ends of your career in that respect. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my special guest is David Downey, former covert operator. Be back in a few moments. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my special guest is a man named David Downey from the Philadelphia area. Uh, his background is covert operations, kind of a lone wolf at times, but also worked closely within the United States government as well as uh, within special operations groups attached uh, to the United States government. Now, David, in your background... Uh, can you give a time frame for when you began your work towards the period that it ended? Because I find the history aspect of it uh, pretty fascinating because you're involved or at least peripherally involved in things that were, you know, pretty pretty touchy stuff during those uh, years. It really was. It really started in late 74 when the bank gave me a cover as well as uh, sugar, Uncle Sam, as we call him, um, in the Chamber of Commerce project in Philadelphia. I was supposed to be a representative for the chamber a period of time, which I was not. So that takes you into 75. There was a gap for a period of time where I did some technical work for them because they were starting to embrace technology, and I always was a math bug and immediately migrated to the technology from mainframe to mid-range computers. Um, they would attach me or give me an assignment as an independent, as time went on, I was not employed. I was not an employee of any agency. I was a contractor, a 1099 guy. With organizations, when the Resolution Trust thing broke loose, what was going on? Who was feeding information to what developers? Why were they feeding it? What were they getting back? Where I would immerse myself as one of the guys and uh, share what I knew well after a period of time and then just move back to my life uh, forever I was alleged to have been doing. It created problems for me, John, and then I'll come back to the yeah. time frame, because you'd be committed to a golf tournament or committed to a social event, all of a sudden I'd cancel. I'd cancel because of my work. And you can't turn around and pick up the phone and say, oh, Bill, I'm not going to make it because I have to go to uh, Savannah, Georgia, to Fort Stewart to train for two weeks or to run a logistics class down at Fort Meade. Uh, I, unfortunately, as you know, John, did spend some time in jail. Yeah, yeah, we're going to definitely touch you on that. But go ahead. Yeah, please. Well, while in jail, met a number of guys who remembered me, guys who were rangers from the 75th Ranger, guys from the 10th Mountain, a couple of guys who were steel attaches, 
Uh, I had taught a class in supply chain disruption, which was one of the things I became a specialist in, and got attached to a group in New York who uh, was called E-Steel. And then New View was a very interesting group as to what they were doing. Uh, one of the things that I was retained for in many occasions through the 80s and early 90s, when a company or a country makes a product, they no longer make it piece by piece the way John Henry Ford did when he made the Model T. They make it in components. Mm -hmm. Now, for a minute, if you're country X or country Y, and you are considered an enemy of North American, NATO, United States, Canada, whatever it is, you make a product that drives your gross national product. Well, if you don't have one of those components in the supply chain, all of a sudden, one week, you're taking two units of your currency to buy a loaf of bread, and six weeks later, it's 700. And a week after that, it's 7,000. And a week after that, there's an airdrop to your currency, which devalues it, and then it's 700,000. So as a contractor, I was not restricted by rules, regulation, rules of engagement. I was restricted by how creative I could get. And to answer your further question, and I will go back and forth in you a little mm -hmm. bit, yeah, finance is a strong background. Chemical engineering is another strong background because they're such keen, detailed thinkers. I, as a kid, John, used to be able to take six or seven eight-digit numbers and look at them and add them. Yeah, I kind of figured now, you know, uh, some of the checks I did, some people I know, uh, different things I've stumbled into over the years. For I understand, taking businessmen, taking people like yourself, uh, bringing them on as private contractors quietly, while they still have their own businesses, uh, they become utilized by the government, the military, whomever it may be. You guys have that, as you just kind of said, you're not really bound by the rules of engagement, at least not the rules of engagement on the battlefield. And you're not really bound by the rules of engagement as a diplomat. You're kind of a lone wolf freelancer, right? That's correct. It's funny. When I went through some difficulties with the law, two agencies were contacted immediately. And rather than say, we have no knowledge, we never heard of him, they said, we have no comment. And if you take it three years out, when my appeal process started, the acknowledgement started to come out of Virginia and Washington. Yes, he worked for us. Well, then I'm going to step back. We're kind of, I, I, I know the audience is probably going, gee, you know, what happened? What got him here? And I do want to step back and kind of lead into it, and then we'll go back and uh, pick up more of your past. But you had an incident in 2005, uh, western suburbs of here of Pennsylvania, actually not too far from where I live. And I remember this story very, very well. Um, but before we get into exactly what happened, I wanted to ask you, were you in a bad place at that time of your life? Uh, you were in your early to mid-50s. Obviously, you'd been through a lot of things, had done a lot of things. You have four children. I think you had your second marriage, if I read correctly. Were you in a bad place, David, a place that you were just trying to escape from, and that might have led to where we're going to go with next? Well, I think that may have been a bit of it, but there are some other things involved that I'm not at liberty to discuss because uh, Tom Egan, who is my attorney and, and dear friend and a fantastic attorney, and I will be returning in the appeal process with, with some very significant data related to misrepresentation by the witnesses. As you know, John, mm -hmm. district attorneys can put incredible pressure on witnesses to say and coach what they once said. Uh, am I accountable for that horrible issue? Absolutely. You have to take responsibility. But there were extenuating circumstances that I'm not at liberty to discuss. Well, it's... As you said earlier, the brotherhood that accepted me and embraced me and embraces me today, I never let them down. Well, let's kind of step back with it. it. It really is kind of a tragedy all the way around that could have been avoided. It just seemed like uh, 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 things came together in a really bizarre kind of setup to lead what happened. Now, correct me if I'm wrong as I give the, uh, the recount of this. Uh, you were, again, at a point in your life, you were trying to escape a little bit. You were uh, down in some of the better men's establishments in Philadelphia. I've uh, been to several of them myself over the years. Uh, you are back at your home. I think your wife and your, your children, maybe your one daughter, was not home. Uh, some people came over. Unfortunately, there was some drug use. And uh, an underage girl, whom I believe you did not know was underage, who had come with some people from the, the uh, adult club. Uh, unfortunately, she OD'd uh, on a speedball, if I'm correct on this. 
And then there was kind of uh, uh, a Keystone Cop sort of situation. And unfortunately, she was not properly uh, taken care of when she was passing away. I'm trying to be really polite about this. Her body was, was dumped in the northeast part of Philadelphia, out toward the Bustleton area. Uh, you kind of got really caught into that whole tsunami of it, correct? Let me, let me answer that three ways. You're, you're pretty much correct. But, no, I've been divorced for a number of years. Okay. When that occurred, I've been divorced for 10 years. Uh, we live out on the edge, but we are loyal. Um, my children, older two at the time, were long since gone well into their career. Uh, my oldest uh, daughter was in medical school or a Ph.D. program. My son in the career world. Uh, my other daughter, a high schooler, and the other in junior high. Um, very close relationship with all at different levels. And, 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 and they always concerned that dad seemed to be drawn in multiple directions. And, and what I did will do that to you, uh, no matter how equipped or strong you are. Uh, you're wrong. I did not frequent the adult clubs. Uh, that is incorrect. That is a misrepresentation by the press as fed by our uh, prosecutors. Had I been there? Been there exactly once. The reason I went back three days after the poor young lady's passing was to find an individual who was clearly involved. I'm going to take you back a little bit. Okay. As I said, I accept responsibility, but the facts aren't quite correct. She had been doing drugs for three days with other people. Um, but you are correct. They were from the adult industry, and it was an unfortunate time in my life. But I asked patiently, and I'll stop at this point, that you wait a few months and see what comes out. And uh, I need to protect not only myself and my civil and criminal rights. Um, I did do time. I did it constructively. I taught while in the state prison. I taught the indigent and the poor. Uh, if they wanted to be stockbrokers, I made them learn basic accounting and statistics first. Uh, I made good use of the time. Uh, I will tell you that the bad spots in my life I reflected on in great detail. It was a very humbling experience. Uh, candidly, I got my bottom kicked uh, emotionally and deserved it. I figured that. And let's just, again, to clarify uh, for my listening audience here, you were, what was the actual conviction? And I think you did eight years, is that correct? But what was the actual conviction that you are in the process of appealing again? From what I understand, it's being taken a real hard look at, too. Yeah, it's drug delivery resulting in death. I was accused and convicted of not only having and giving her the drugs, but then uh, not doing anything to help her. If we're to go back to the press and speak to the likes of Wall Hunter and the state police, they will acknowledge that there was an actual call from my address for help, and they ignored it and went to the wrong house. Yeah, that was also cited... That was also cited in our local newspaper, the uh, Pottstown Mercury. So that is out there. That was cited. I remember reading that. Okay. So and that, that, um, I made good use of the time. I pray daily for the passing of the victim. Um, I think that if you were to take a group of bad situations and add them exponentially, that's what occurred in those 36 hours. Yeah, so then, again, complete tragedy and if anyone that is uh, related or, or, or knew the victim, I send out my heartfelt condolences that that happened. And I'm sorry we're bringing it up again. I hope we cause no pain there. I but it so. is, but oh. it is part of your story, and we need to, you know, to cover that aspect of it. So you recently uh, were released from state prison, correct? That's correct. About a little less than a year ago. A year ago. You came out, you know, uh, weeds don't grow under David Downey's feet, that's for sure. No, they don't. You started moving very quickly, and you came up with a business that I've heard people toy with before, uh, but I, it appears you're going to make a real good go of it. It's called In Gear LLC. You're working out of the, I'm trying to remember, Bluebell or Philadelphia part right now. I work out of Bluebell and Washington. Oh. Okay. Your job, what you're doing, and uh, correct me again if I'm wrong, Basically, you're preparing individuals who have been convicted of a crime that are preparing to go to jail themselves, be it state uh, or federal prison, correct? Let me, let me take you back give you a little more detail. There are two companies there. There is InGear LLC, which is a profit-making venture. 
And then there's In Gears LLC, which is a nonprofit approved by the state of Pennsylvania in process of getting our 501C through the federal government. Uh, you can operate as a nonprofit by taking up to $5 million a year in contributions as a nonprofit. We do five things. We provide support on the nonprofit side to public defenders, court-appointed attorneys, whether they be state, county, or federal. On the profit side, we provide support to the litigators in civil and criminal court as experts and as guidance counselors. John Doe gets convicted of a hedge fund violation, gets 12 years with that. Well, John's probably worth four or $500 billion, has an ego bigger than Lancaster County, uh, and doesn't want to listen. He or she is going to federal prison. You start in Oklahoma City, you get classified, you get on a plane, you go to another prison, every two years they move you. He or she needs to understand the way prisons work, the religious factions, the gangs, getting a job, uh, what it's like living on a block, what the hustles are. All I have over 100 experts that support both the profit and nonprofit side, and so we provide prison guidance. And in the beginning, we'll work with the public defenders, work for the private counsel on the profit side, helping them prepare for trial. There's a recent piece in the Missouri State Supreme Court talking about preparing a public defender or court-appointed attorney that they can do about 73 to 75 percent of the job well. What about the other 25? Does that mean a woman or a man is going to jail because they didn't have the time? So what we are is a support arm to provide guidance pre-trial, guidance after conviction, guidance about life after prison, and then Oftentimes, when someone is convicted, John. Well, hold on a second, David. I got to take you from this point. I got to go on to another commercial break. We're, we're going to come back. I want to go more in depth, though, into the whole process. You're listening yeah. to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest, very interesting man, David Downey. He is the founder of InGear LLC. Be back in a few moments. Welcome back to Life on Eddie. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is former lone wolf-type covert operator with the United States, a man named David Downey. He has recently been released from state prison here in Pennsylvania. The uniqueness of David, again, uh, weeds do not grow under the, this man's feet. David has started a company called InGear LLC. Uh, David, could you give us some direct information, website and contact information to you uh, concerning your business. Let me do two things first. First, let me thank you for taking the time to do this with me today. And the in gear, the name gear comes from my mother's maiden name. And I wanted to do something meaningful for society and recognize her. She was a great shining light in my life. Um, spelled a little differently. The gears represent the way the system works. In gear, LLC.com is about to be purchased by a major financial institution, and I'll tell you why. They see my background in finance, my understanding of prisons, my understanding of the federal government, and right down the line through the bond and development and, and real estate market, an opportunity for them to enter they see as a big capital market, and that's building and funding prison building in this country, which is an industry unto itself. In Gears LLC is funded by grants, Oracle, Rockefeller, Bank of America, Chase Morgan, all the big players. And we seek support. If you look at our website, ingearsllc.com, which is about 95% complete, but for analytics, but the donation page is up, everybody. I provide over 100 experts from military, obviously, the SEAL teams, Delta Force, who I worked with, uh, the Ranger community. Uh, the Green, Bay, Green Beret community, through medical doctors, through toxicologists. We have a network relationship with Tox Global Diagnostics, which is a large mobile drug testing firm, of which I'm on their board and an officer, that supports all drug testing state and federal-wide. Um, we cover all the difficult things to allow the public defender, the court-appointed attorney, the private litigator, the white shoe law firm, and the corporate market, because they now have a menu of benefits that they offer their employees. 
One of the menu is legal support. We're talking with a couple of very large food chains at this point in time. The net of it is we provide support to the poor, the indigent, with free, gratis support in the process of criminal prosecution before and after through these grants and through this funding. The experts take a significantly smaller fee to make their contribution to society. I have over 100. And we will quickly add, as I have with many a client, that we can't help. We don't waste their time and they don't waste ours because time is too valuable in the criminal justice system. It is a difficult system. By the way, let me add something for your audience. We also work for the prosecutors. I have worked for the U.S. Prosecutor's Office in various states giving guidance on what I think the, that the defendant is looking for. So I don't choose a side. I, I choose professional delivery. You're preparing people, especially high-end people. You hit on a few moments ago. You're, you get the guy that's a hedge fund uh, operator here and commits a crime. It's usually a white, big-time white-collar crime, $10, 15000000000 billion he or she has stolen. They have to do time. The people want someone to burn for this. They have to have it for the most part. You take someone like this and you prep them for their experience of going into prison. Not jail, not county jail. Oh, no, they're going to prison. They're going to prison. They're going to state or federal prison, and neither one's a picnic. No, they're neither are a picnic. How are you preparing them? Uh, let's, you know, they, they, you know, how are you preparing a man first? Because I'm curious how you would prepare a woman to go to prison next. I have female experts who were high-end corporate types, also medical doctors, who have done time, who are available to me as experts. First thing I do is get a profile of the charged or the convicted. I hope it's charged. I hope we get in early enough. I understand what makes them tick. I understand if it's a white shoe law firm, how big their ego is. Uh, one of the things that happened to me in my life, I got too big for my own britches and needed a little humbling. You know, God saw to that. Um, I understand what makes them tick. And then I sit with a partner and or a group of litigators at a Snader Harris, at a Small Ewing, at a Morgan Lewis, and say, okay, what do we have here? What's the downside? Well, I know what the downside is. I don't ask a question like that unless I know the answer. They're looking at 12, 14 years fed. They'll get good time. Remember, Pennsylvania does not have good time, ladies and gentlemen. We're the only state we have a, a small thing that adds a little bit to it, but there's no good time. So say they're going to do eight years. Well, okay, they took a billion dollars. First thing I say is, okay, they're going to cop a plea. Let's understand what the plea is. Is that the best deal that the prosecution's going to give you? If you usually wait a little while and show a little patience and cool your jets in jail, they'll give you a better deal. Because they've got to move that docket off of their desk as well. Then I explain to them what they face. Then I pull aside and I go back and I go back to the attorney and I let he or she sit a couple days and, and think about what it is they face. And I'll say to the counsel, the partner in charge of the criminal defense, like at a deal worth taxing. What is it that I have to do to get through to this person? And I will ask, how high can I turn it up? So I'll go into that room with someone else sitting there, so there's no question or misrepresentation, and turn it up so high they can't breathe. And I have others that know how to do the same thing. The point is, these people are facing, you know, there's no more dinners at, at Le Bexin. You're eating off a tray. You're in line with guys who will put a shiv in your back in a minute for just crossing them the wrong way. You have to understand how bad the medical care is, hmm. uh, what it is, what's a decent job in prison, who not to cross. When you go to commissary, which gang are you giving your razor to? By the way, how do you look out for the Muslim community? I embrace the Muslim community. I find it the most sincere guys in the world that I dealt with. And you show people respect. A good prisoner, a good inmate has a niche, and he or she doesn't leave that niche. My niche was advising guys and teaching them how to get a job when they got out. And I worked with all kinds. But the question is, what makes that person tick, and how do I get them to listen? Now, here's another issue. When they're convicted, John, and to your audience, they don't look in a mirror. I didn't. I was mad. Um, we did not expect to lose. Um, and you so, want to get even at that point, David? Is that something that goes through the mind, especially as someone 
who has some sort of power or has been in a powerful position? Is it a, a belief that all of a sudden I can't believe, hey, man, they got me. This is bull. Well, it, it is what it is. When I saw in my case, John, the jury paperwork cross in front of my desk with Tom, I said, oh, my God, they've convicted me. He said, Dave, how did you see that? I said, well, I'm trained to see things like that. I look at a room differently than you do. Net of it is they need to prepare. They need to understand. They need to take the time and do something constructive. Now, I'll take you back a step. The attorney that sat by their side and made them every promise under the sun. Oh, by the way, we need a $500,000 retainer, but we're going to get you off. Now, all of a sudden, the guy's looking at 12 years, and he remembers writing that check or wiring that money for his son, for himself, for his wife. Now that guy blames him. Now, how do I rebuild the relationship between that attorney and that now convicted client? So there's five or six dimensions going on simultaneously. Um, Dr. Augusta Kwaku is uh, the managing partner of a firm called Cox Global Diagnostics. I bring him in very early when there's a drug test that's questionable. Because if you go to a five or a ten panel screen, how it was taken, what are the considerations? For example, XYZ Police Department in such and such a county in Maryland pulls this guy in, drug testing, bang, got he trusted positive for opiates, marijuana, and meth. Whoa, 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 whoa. Guess what? We bring him out at 2 o'clock in the morning to run the same test. So all of a sudden, we now have a time frame we can manage. All of a sudden, that criminal litigator has real data to go to the, to the DA and say, whoa, 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 where'd you get that test? This was done by one of the, the finest mobile lads in the country. Are, are you kidding me? Now, all of a sudden, they're in chambers with the judge, and the judge is going, hey, you guys got to work this out. We're not going to look stupid in front of the public. Yeah, but let's be honest, David, on this one, too, though, while I cut you off and I didn't mean to, but I want to get to the public. This is a high-end game. This is people that are, that are on trial that have money. They can yeah. go out and get these types of companies to help them. Then yeah. you have, and we talked about uh, prosecutors, I have to agree with you. As I've gotten over older over the years myself, prosecutors, especially ones that crave the spotlight, they want to win at pretty much all costs. It's a game to them, too. Absolutely. And, and I've seen that. I, prime example is when evidence is brought to them that a man or a woman has been wrongly convicted, been in jail 10, 15, 20 years, and they still piss around finally releasing that individual. The DNA evidence is there, but they don't want the black mark on their record. And hold that thought. We're going to come back. We've got to take one last break. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my special guest is David Downey, former covert operator for the United States government. Well, and many other things. Be back in a few moments. Welcome back to Life on Eddie. I'm your host, John Averly. Special guest today is David Downey, former covert operator of the United States government, but on a kind of a lone wolf sort of way. He has started a business since he's been released from prison about 10, 12 months ago called In Gear LLC. David, real quick again, give us website and contact information to reach you. It is InGears, G-I-N-G-E-A-R-S. LLC.com. Again, in gears, G E A R S, LLC.com. Our uh, site shows uh, our goals, shows our mission statement, details some issues. In gears is all about providing gratis support to the poor and indigent. So we level the playing field. I can be reached at my line at 215 900. 7996. Again, that's 215-900-7996. And let me give your audience my email address. It is Duff, D-U-F-F, gear, G-E-A-R-1, at gmail.com. I want to acknowledge uh, Marissa Hobbleman, who did a wonderful job on our website, who will be part of our team, not only at In Years, but Tox Global going forward. 
there's a lot of great talent out there. You just got to find it, and there's a lot of great work out there. So well, I've always agreed with this. Just because someone's been broken doesn't mean they're damaged for life either, and there should be ways for people to redeem themselves and be able to get back into the game of life and be productive. But we're willing We're willing it in years. In fact, it's funny. I'm finding more and more, John, because I get called a lot by the very big consulting firms, the McKinsey's, the Booz Allen's, the Accenture's, and they say, okay, we want to play in this prison market. We want to play in the federal space of advising. How do we do that? I said, be real simple. I'd sit down, and my first meeting will be $25,000. I am not the good ship lollipop anymore. Um, I don't do that. Now, when it comes to public sector and the poor and the indigent, I'll meet them Sunday morning at 6 a.m. with my nickel. I'll travel. I'll pick up breakfast. They don't get a fair shake in this world. They are traded in meetings over beers between attorneys and public defenders and court-appointed attorneys. You get this, I get this, I get this, you get that. Come on. That's the facts. And the young black, the young Latin, the young Oriental, the young mixed race don't have a chance. The conviction rate in some of these counties, in Maryland, in Delaware, in Virginia, in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, where we work, is 99.5%. you got to be kidding me. I, I don't mean, know. That's, it's always been that way. You have a minority. You have people that have less money. But then, you, you know, again, what you do on the opposite end, you're, you're straddling both. And I give you credit for that. I, you know, what you do for the lesser individuals who can't afford services like the ones you do provide for high-end people, you are helping them out. Is that a form of maybe giving back based on your own personal experiences? You feel like you, you know, this is my chance to give back a little bit. I think it's a big part of it. I, uh, I, as I said earlier, John, and I'm really grateful for your time, but I am also grateful to Joe DiStefano, who, who exposed the story as well. But there'll be more conversations in the fall, which I will share with you nationally. They have picked up this story because of your and my conversation. Um, saying, talking about conviction rates, talking about the weight. Do you know there were multiple grand juries that passed on me, John, before they convicted me? Well, they have to find people. You're, I mean, in all honesty, be completely honest with my listeners, uh, I mean, I went into this interview knowing who you were from well over a decade ago. Uh, we've talked many times over the last few months. You know a lot of the same people I know. Yes. So for them to find... Someone who was impartial had to be extremely difficult for the uh, court system at the time. They thought they'd lost, John. We know that for a fact. They have told many that they thought they lost. Tom Egan's close at my trial was brilliant. Um, Tom has become a and, and there is a sample for you. I was mad as hell at Tom. He wasn't wrong. He did a great job. But what happens is, in repairing it in the white shoe law firm, that anger from the convicted with it. Now, I wouldn't have anybody else. Now, I do work with David Radofsky in the Innocence Project. David knows what I do. He's an exceptional guy. Um, he was one of my appeal attorneys. Um, I think the balls were so drawn in a corner and a tilted table against me that nobody knew what to do. When I was back in Montgomery County in the Honorable Judge Hobson's courtroom, who was a wonderful man, he turned to the district attorney and said, we need to do something here. They wouldn't bust. When they get a conviction, to your point, John, they don't want to bust. In my civil case, let me remind your audience that I didn't save this to last, but for this reason, I won, John. Judge Creantes, a female judge with eight female jurors, said, there's no way this man did this. Three Latin women, three black women, two white women. Unless he's Star Wars, but as you've heard, John, they'll indict a ham sandwich. So, yes, a lot of this is to help others who can't help themselves because of what I went through. I owe something to society. I'm able to get back on my feet. The profit company will be sold in four months as we go through the vetting. And they're not buying me because I'm a nice guy, John. They're buying me because I have knowledge. Well, you know, David, you're you're, you're kind of leading into a question because— I see a book here at some point towards the end of your life. you got to write a book. Conversation's going on about that right now. got to be. But I have to ask you. Now, 
you know, I know people, I have a little bit of a background on what I did in the military, nothing special, you know, security specialist for the Air Force, but it, it had its moments and I enjoyed it and led me to meet different people. But you must, your personality is so strong and you are so articulate and uh, your intelligence, obviously, your intelligence level is, is off the charts. Do people, they have to, be, there has to be at times where people look at you and you go, man, this man's just full of crap. How do you deal with that when that comes at you, considering, you know, you know who you are, you have your background. How do you deal with that to, to disarm that individual, get them to understand, no, 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 I'm, this is just a strange situation and I fell into it. How do you handle that? Oh, I listen politely. And it's funny, I have a family member who seems to think that is, and not a direct sibling, that thinks it is his or her right to choose who who works for the government and what they do and how they do it. Um, so profoundly egotistical are many people that if they weren't offered the job, if they didn't authorize the headcount, if they didn't authorize the functionality of that person, then it doesn't exist. Because their lives are so hollow, and they are so angry and insecure, and their contribution to society is so empty. John, you know what? I'm reminded of something that, that was given to me. I did a project many, many years ago, assigned by the government, to Citibank, to Mr. Riston. And he gave me a card at the end of the two weeks I spent with him. And on the card, in a beautiful crystal vase, in addition to my check, was a card that he hand wrote, and it said, Great spirits elicit violent opposition from mediocre minds. And he said, They will hate you, they will like you, they will respect you, they will say you don't do this, ignore them and keep going. I try to remember that moment. Yeah, it just, again, and I understand this, and there's people like you that are out there. I mean, people who their personality just transcends what they did and I, and I can't think of the gentleman's name off the top of my head but he ran Blackwater uh, and he was a former uh, SEAL, he wasn't SEAL Team 6 I believe, can't think of his last, Prince, last name was Prince he had a very outgoing strong personality, his contracts of course were connected to Halliburton I would assume the lack of a better way of putting this, your handlers or former handlers would probably prefer at times that you, if not tone it down, kind of disappear into the woodwork once in a while. Would I be correct on that? Eric's contacts were not with Halliburton. Eric's contacts were through his father. Which I believe still kind of went back to Halliburton at some point. Some of them did, Some yes. of them did. Went directly to the State Department. Yeah. yeah his father was the funder. His father funded the whole thing. Yeah, he did. And Eric only did three years with the teams. He was a Naval Academy guy that left the academy and finished elsewhere, came back and went to Bud. That's right. Uh, never anything would happen to any of these guys at Blackwater. I would call and ask if there was anything we could do and vice versa. He's a very fine guy. He has sold everything down there in Puddle Duck Road. He's out of the business. Blackwater is now renamed under a third name. It's now a training company only. Yeah, and you and I can discuss all that at some point over lunch or something, too, because yes. there's a lot of things that I have interest, uh, questions that, that follow up behind that. But, but again, going back to it, like I said, I would assume, again, that your handlers, if there's any present, definitely ones in the past, probably like, geez, just, just you know, that your personality is so strong, you put, you put a lot out there. And I think it's fascinating, especially as a talk show host. I mean, this is, this is you know, some of the things you dream of to have conversations about. Are you ever fearful that maybe you haven't censored yourself enough in a certain situation and it could come back to be a problem? Maybe not even directly with, again, a handler from your past, maybe an enemy from your past. You know what? I'm probably my own best friend and my own worst enemy. And you know what? If that's the worst they can say about me, so be it. I did good by my nation, my nation by me. I loved what I did, and yet you're absolutely right. And there are times in the last three months prior to this horrible tragedy that I would get completely under the radar. But part of doing what we do and believing what we believe is you've got to put your neck out there once in a while. There's always going to be people that are better than you, that are worse than you, that are smarter than you. 
but there's uh, the world. I'll use the expression the young people use today: a bunch of haters. Uh, I'll tell you what: if you have credibility in a prison, you have credibility anywhere. And I had some issues front end. By the time I left prison, I was pretty well regarded by a pretty group of tough guys. There were Army Rangers there. There were SEAL attaches. There were guys who ran blood and grip units. You know, I was just good old Dave, and if you need something, Dave, you can count on. So if the toughest critics in the world be felons, I pass their muster. If those that are so arrogant that they don't believe somebody's got skills, I, I, my grandfather was a strong-willed man. Uh, a couple of uncles are the same way. So you're right. I should learn from it. It's something I need to work on. In fact, the people that are acquiring my profit company have wrapped a PR firm around me, and I get that once in a while, John. Not a bad thing. David, i got about 45 seconds, and what I'd like you to do again is to give uh, contact information for uh, InGears LLC, phone number real quick to meet with you, and then uh, we'll just kind of sign off from that point. Thank you, John. Thank you and your listeners for your patience today, and God bless our country and our nation and our president, my commander-in-chief. In years, I-N-G-E-A-R-S, L-L-C dot com. In years, I-N-G-E-A-R-S, L-L-C dot com, 215-900-7996. John, thank you so much for your patience and your time today. David, I appreciate David Downey from Recovered Operator for the United States government. David, thank you for your service. Thank you, sir. God bless.